the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, B.C., Canada. In the past few weeks, I've shared recordings of live classes to give you a look inside the Numinous Network, so you can decide whether you want to come join us for Free Week this year, happening from September 17th to 23rd. This episode is for all the folks who are, for whatever reason, familiar with chronic illness, rare disease, and or autoimmune disorder. So the Numinous Network itself was inspired by my work with clients living with chronic illness and rare diseases, such as Sjogren's disease, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, PCOS, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome. Um, those syndromes specifically um, it started in about 2015. I had this cluster of clients with all of those diseases. What started as a professional and personal special interest, I guess you could say, became many, many hours of listening to rare disease specialists uh, and um, doctors speaking at the Dysautonomia International Conference. Uh, I started attending that back in 2019. Prior to that, it was more like podcasts, reading articles. And then in June 2021, uh, someone I know posted on Instagram about symptoms that to me read as POTS, and I directed them to Dysautonomia International. And this is a person who is extremely academic and a very detailed researcher. And within a day, they came back to me with RCCX theory. And I guess basically this is my personality now. <laughs> so... This is my Coles Notes, a condensed version of a longer 90-minute course that's available on demand inside the Numinous Network. Um, content note for this, none of this is meant as medical advice or diagnosis. It's just a theory. And I also want to say, if you are living with a diagnosis or if you're living with unexplained mystery symptoms right now, it just may not be very cool to hear me kind of nerd out on this um, as someone who does not have lived experience. I'm adjacent because of my clients um, and because of the many members of the Numinous Network um, who attend the sensitive systems and long COVID connection calls that we host twice a month. Um, I've learned so much from them. They have all of these kinds of autoimmune disorders and long COVID that's become POTS and all of that stuff. Um, So I've Because of them and learning from their experiences, I've learned to spot things. I'm like the truffle pig of autoimmunity in my clients. Like I'm, you know, anyway, I'm also the parent of someone who has multiple mental and physical diagnoses who fits this profile. And so it's just easy for me to see this pattern in my extended family. And um, I find it very validating, especially the epigenetic pieces, um, And in the course, in the network, um, I get more deeply into why I think we should care about RCCX theory. But for now, let me just tell you about it. So what is RCCX theory? RCCX is a theory proposed by Dr. Sharon McLathery 
that may explain overlapping syndromes associated with chronic illness. Now, I have reached out to Dr. McLathry and heard back from her. Um, she can't come on the podcast because she has um, chronic overlapping illnesses. And uh, she has since passed on her research to someone else and it just like hasn't really been carried forward. Um, However, there's a very active Facebook group you could uh, search and find there. I'll see if I can find the link and put it in my um, uh, show notes. But anyway, in a nutshell, here's what RCCX is. Co-inherited gene mutations of the RCCX module lead to overlapping rare genetic diseases and syndromes in families and individuals. So this RCCX module has been noted for allowing co-inherited mutations at a very high rate. So essentially it's, a, it's gene mutations that lead to these overlapping quote unquote rare genetic diseases. And um, it, it can happen in just one person, but the thing about the theory that's so helpful I find is that it casts a wider net to show that you can probably detect this gene mutation as contributing to your um, autoimmune disorder or your genetic disease by looking at clusters of symptoms in the family or in affiliation. So it can be chosen family as well. So but let's get into it a bit more. So stress is often what sets it off. This, this mutation creates a stress vulnerability in people who have this gene mutation. And it can have like catastrophic consequences if these people are in settings of severe acute or settings of chronic or prolonged stress. And it results in medical and or psychiatric illness. In other words, in a stressful environment, a person who has this um, potential for gene mutation, it, that's what will, will turn that gene expression on. And it results in these overlapping rare diseases and psychiatric illness. So what we're talking about is a brain wired for danger and a body primed for stress. So Dr. McLathry believes these gene mutations result in this particular psychological profile and this particular um, brain wiring. So the psychological profile, there's an acronym for it, CAPS, C-A-P-S. So people who have this CAPS profile will find it often co-occurs with sensory sensitivities, enlarged limbic structures like the amygdala, so in other words, like high arousal and high emotionality. They'll have enhanced empathy, superior pattern recognition, perhaps autistic features like hyperfocus or obsessive special interests, and dysautonomia, which is a chronic dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. And women and people with hypermobility are possibly even more affected. So let me kind of break this all down. So people who have this psychological profile very often have this gene mutation vulnerability. 
and it co-occurs, meaning others, there are these other signs that might indicate you have this gene mutation going on. So enlarged limbic structures, so the part of your amygdala that is big, the amygdala is where emotionality and arousal comes from. So that can just be a more intense emotional experience. And enhanced empathy. So now there's a difference between cognitive empathy, which is reading visual and tonal cues, and affective empathy. Affective empathy is like instincts and involuntary responses to the emotions of others. So here's why this is important. Heads up. <laughs> this is particularly important to be aware of if you or someone you love is autistic. So autistic folks can and do feel empathy. I'm quoting um, Oliver Choquette from an earlier Numinous podcast episode. Uh, but the current research does show um, that very often people who feel emotions very strongly they are missed or not diagnosed with autism because there's this popular fallacy based on very old and patriarchal understandings of autism. I'm going to talk a bit more about autism in a minute. Um, superior pattern recognition. So pattern recognition and inductive thinking is the ability for a human brain to not only find patterns, but like figure out in a logical way what the patterns suggest or what they mean about what might happen next. So it's like precursive thought. If this happens, then that happens. And then autistic features like hyperfocus, obsessive special interest, enhanced empathy, pattern recognition. So we can think of autism, well, it's not just philosophy. The science shows that we can think of autism in terms of four main brain patterns that autistic people present with. So the first brain pattern that all autistic people share is a sensory motor pattern. So there's more intense activity in the sensory pro processing portions of the brain. And because it's so intense, there's very often either some like shutdown in this area or like attempts to quell that area. Um, and the challenge about that of like trying to quiet that part of your brain is we need this part of the brain to help us regulate other parts of the brain and understand what's going on in our environment. So without this part of the brain, the sensory motor um, uh, areas of the brain or, or functions of the brain, without that well-regulated and helping to regulate the other parts, folks with autism can either go into hyper-focus or um, they'll focus on like emotionally distressing thoughts like failure and rejection or become like hyper-analytical, trying to figure out some kind of problem. Um, and so this is the part of the brain that enjoys stimming. This is also part of the brain that can sort of lead to vulnerability around like addiction. Now, some autistic folks have a frontal brain pattern. And so that can be more intense and involve more like a PDA expression. So PDA, if you're like learning about autism, at some point you'll come across PDA. Um, it technically stands for pathological demand avoidance. Um, however, disability justice advocates and like autism advocates and just like people like me uh, often use the term persistent desire for autonomy. And I think that describes like the vibe here more accurately. It's basically like you cannot tell this person what to do. <laughs> So these folks have like a more analytical presentation. They're a bit more heady. There's lots of intellectualizing. 
And this style of brain pattern co-occurs pretty often with ADHD. Um, other folks have more um, of an emotional network pattern. And so these autistic folks, um, these are like the rejection sensitive folks. And it's, it's called rejection sensitive dysphoria. So these folks are hypersensitive to the entire range of emotions, but especially like pretty extreme fear of failure and rejection. And so they have a really tough time with self-regulation. They're often like either misdiagnosed or it's co-diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And on it, but honestly, like on, I sort of think if you're someone who's been given a BPD diagnosis, you may want to track these other things as well, because maybe you actually have autism. Anyway, and then there are the folks with the hyperconnectivity in the visual areas of the brain. And so these are the autistic folks who are very detail-oriented, and this is where that pattern recognition comes in. So some autistic people are like pretty dominant in one kind of brain pattern. Some have several of them, but it's their brain pattern is marked by intensity. And so it's not kind of middle of the road like it is for us neurotypicals. And there are many of, I say us neurotypicals, who, who have autistic features without actually meeting a diagnosis for autism. So like I am not autistic, but I have some features, which is why my sensory processing activity matched pretty well with my kiddo's dad, who also, you know, I don't know if he has autism, but it's definitely in their family. Um, and he has some features for sure. And what do you know? Our kiddo is autistic. <laughs> it's like an intergenerational pass down. So these particular features of autism are things to think about uh, when you're thinking about RCCX theory. It can present in many different ways when we're talking about like the mental aspect of it. Then physiologically, when I say dysautonomia, so like dysautonomia as a, as a key part of RCCX theory, dysautonomia is chronic dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. This is not a rare condition. Now, I, it's not a specific disease. It's an umbrella term we use for several different diagnoses that are about chronic dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. Um, so like over 70,000 people in the world, I'm sorry, million, not thousand, 70 million people in the world live with dysautonomia. And like, those are just the ones who've received a diagnosis, I guess. Uh, probably since COVID, the most common form of dysautonomia we're hearing about now is POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, we're hearing about it because like, guess what? long COVID is basically like it becomes POTS. So dysautonomia can also occur as like a secondary condition to other medical conditions. So like you might have diabetes or MS or rheumatoid arthritis or celiac or Sjogren's, lupus, Parkinson's, and dysautonomia is like the secondary condition. Generally, what the one of the doctors I heard say at one of the conferences was that um, after about two years of living with an untreated autoimmune disorder, a second one will co-occur in year two or three. And so that's where we would see like dysautonomia come in. Um, 
This is why I personally believe, again, I'm not a doctor. This is just my special interest. Um, after about a year of long COVID is when many people start to see POTS-like symptoms. And in the RCCX theory um, class in the network, I give more of a description of all these different autoimmune um, diseases. So here's what's very interesting about RCCX though. There is a family component, a genetic component, obviously it's a gene mutation, but it's also got this affiliative nature. So in many families, a cluster of diagnoses will be found, which Dr. McGlathery believes are an indication that these families are likely to contain the gene mutations. So it's not just one person. It, you have to look at the whole family system. And in this ecosystem, for example, you might see one family member, very often female, um, diagnosed with or suspected to have Ehlers-Danlos type uh, syndrome, especially the hypermobile type. Or they might have POTS, or they might have MCAS, or all three. And then in the extended family, you might find someone else who has the autoimmune disease like MS or chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia. And then you might find another family member who has a serious mental health challenge like um, possible bipolar disorder, bouts of psychosis, um, disordered eating, cutting, that kind of thing. And then a different family member with expansive or just non-conforming gender identity. And it's kind of unclear what science is being drawn on here in McLathery's theory. But if I were to guess, I think it may be because there are some older studies using very small samples that showed that um, like what they call hormone-naive transmasculine people had a higher prevalence of polycystic ovarian syndrome um, because of the hyperandrogenism that, that goes with PCOS and, um, you know, more than the general population. So I, I don't know what that part of the theory is based on, RCCX theory, but I will say this anecdotally. I don't know a queer person who has all of, the, all of these things good mental health, good digestion, and a neurotypical brain. It kind of seems like if you're queer, you have to pick one. You get one of those things, but you don't get all three at once. So I kind of see where uh, Dr. McLathery is going with this, but I don't see what the science is that she's drawing on. Also in this family, you'll find someone, um, and this is kind of like adjacent to the like, um, bipolar disorder or bouts of psychosis, there could be somebody with severe PTSD. And then there's someone who is a highly successful person or a creative genius. And so when you look in the family, it's like, it's not all sort of quote unquote, um, challenges, bad news. There's also these, you know, bright lights of, you know, success and high functioning. And so it kind of can feel confusing if you happen to be the person who has both, like it can happen that one person has many of these things. So you might be an innovative genius, have autism, um, have PTSD and fibromyalgia. That would like totally make sense to me. If you were a person who had the first three things and were like, I'm getting a little sore, I'd be like, you need um, a rheumatologist to help you determine if you have something going on with autoimmunity because 
uh, they seem to travel together. But as I said, there's an affiliation quality here. So it's, McGlathry calls it affinity and affiliation, meaning the families do not have to be blood relations in order for these clusters and overlaps to appear. So these issues can be found on both sides of the family or in chosen family, adoptive families, um, because people with CAPS, the psychological profile associated with those gene mutations, are attracted to each other because they share those sensory processing sensitivities. They share the emotional sensitivities. They share intellectual gifts and interests. So Dr. McGlathry believes that CAPS is a pretty reliable marker for vulnerability to chronic illness and that CAPS mutations are in about 20% of the population or more. Um, Dr. McGlathry believes that that profile may be the most important risk factor for developing PTSD. So that's my teeny tiny intro to RCCX. It's a bit of a departure from what we're normally on about here on the show, but it's actually like a really big part of my life. Not necessarily RCCX, that that I find is just like a kind of theory of everything of, of um, rare disease and uh, mental health challenges. But this, this is, these are the clients that I work with. These are members of the Numinous Network. We're, we're in this together and we're co-regulating through it. So, um, yeah, it's an episode like this is kind of unusual with me just like talking, but I wanted to give you a preview so you can, as I said, sort of think about free week, maybe come join us in the sensitive systems and long COVID connection call. And again, I put long COVID in there because what does long COVID sound like? This autonomia. Um, so anyway, I'm going to put links in the show notes for you to pour over. You'll find them in your podcast player or at numinouspodcast.com. If you found this episode interesting, I'd super appreciate your positive review in the podcast app, but don't be like this person in the Netherlands who left me a three-star review. And, and the title is, I'm just sharing with you because it's so like ridiculous and bizarre to me, has some interesting topics but often not. There, that's the title, three stars. There were some episodes I would recommend, but most don't have a lot of sus- substance and feels like it's mostly two people constantly agreeing each other while not sharing precise or research-based ideas. <laughs> My friend, it's right in the intro. This is the Numinous Podcast. where We have interesting conversations with just regular folks about the mysteries of life. (laughs) We're very rarely sharing um, super research-based ideas, in my opinion anyway. And um, of course it's me just like agreeing with people because I highly curate who comes on my show. People pitch me to come on my show every week, every week, my friends. I get so many pitches to come on this show. And like, basically I have to be a fan of your work. I have to know you and be a fan of your work. And then I'm going to pursue you. That's basically how it works. Um, And so I'm just going to bring people on that I'm going to like wildly agree with mostly. I don't invite people on my show to like sandbag them and like debate. So, (laughs) and yeah, research-based ideas in a capitalist, imperialist, white supremacist patriarchy just don't even interest me that much very often, except when there's lived experience. And so Dr. McGlathery's um, 
theory is very interesting to me, in particular because she was a doctor who was experiencing um, autoimmunity and started to see this in her research. Anywho, if you like the episode, please let me know with a review and then and maybe share it on social because I do love to know who's feeling me out there. Um, that would be great. Anyway, to join us for free week, just sign up for my newsletter. The link to register will be mailed to you on September 17th. And also just like when you're on my website, click on the tab that says Numinous Network. And if you scroll part way down, you'll find the class schedule so you can like plan accordingly. Sign up for my newsletter and learn more about the Numinous Network at CarmenSpaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.